Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And joining us this week, we have a return guest, one of our favorites. We often say guests are our favorites, and it is as true today as ever. Introduce yourself, guest. Well, thank you for letting me be your favorite guest of the week. Uh, hi, everyone. It's Brian J. Jones. I'm the Jim Henson's biographer. I'm fighting a terrible cold, so forgive me with my weird Muppet-esque voice this week. There you go. That's a good way to look well, at it, though. <laughs> right. Cold or not, always a thrill to have you on the show. Indeed. Oh, no, thanks, guys. This is great. This is always so much fun. I think we did um, I think we did Muppet's Take Manhattan last time, so it's been a while. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the last movie, too. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> it, was, it, had, it had been a while for the Muppets. It's been eight yeah, years. Yeah. Um, but today we are talking about minutes 71 and 72 of The Muppet Christmas Carol. In these minutes, the Cratchit family mourn the loss of Tiny Tim. So before we get started going through it scene by or like moment by moment, I have a question for the two of you. Is this the most heartbreaking scene in any Muppet production ever? Hmm. Any Muppet production ever. So the first thing that comes to mind there is the scene in The Muppet Celebrate Jim Henson where they're reading letters from fans oh, sure. who are saying that they're all so sad that Jim Henson died. But this, I mean, I don't know. This might be tied with that, but also that is yeah. from, you know, that's about a real person. That's about real life. Yeah. yeah. Although, as I'm sure we'll get into, this scene feels like it's partially about Jim Henson. In oh, a way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think as far as um, Muppet films, let's take television stuff out of it. Uh, I think it probably is. But this is also the sort of go-to two minutes of almost any version of Christmas Carol as well, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Saying goodbye, that would be another. But I I don't think that one tops this, as sad as it is. No. No, Scooter doesn't ride a bicycle in this scene. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And everyone is still alive and saying goodbye. They're just going their separate ways. Right. They're, they don't even say goodbye for the whole movie. They all come back. Right. Every dog, bear, chicken, thing, they all come back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but so what we do start with here is Scrooge approaching the Cratchit's house, as we saw last week. And then he looks through the window. But Scrooge never enters the house this time. Like, the last time they came to, to Bob Cratchit's house, they went right inside. And here, Scrooge is literally an outside observer to this scene. And do either of you have any thoughts why? Why he doesn't enter? Yeah. Oh. He could go in and watch it. They can't see him. Right. He could have walked you through know. the door like he did before. Huh. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I did notice for the first time that there are some shots in this scene where you can actually see Scrooge in the background peeking through the window. I had never oh, spotted gosh, that yeah. before. Yeah. Just like a little Michael Caine Easter egg. Yeah. I think almost, <laughs> I think maybe, I think maybe part of it is, um, you know, Scrooge hasn't earned the right yet to be part of that level of intimacy with the Cratchit family. I don't think. Sure. Yeah, that's a good that's a good theory. Yeah, or it's more important that this moment is just shared by the Cratchits. Right. Right. Hmm. Although what is what is interesting to me that I'm sure I had noticed on a subconscious level, but had never really been able to put into words before, is that almost everything that happens in this scene is a mirror of the first time we yep. see the Cratchit. Yep, same here. I, I had not noticed that either. And yeah, yeah. almost every beat. Yeah. Is the repeated. characters are doing the they're doing the same things. But, like, we see how they do them differently with Tiny Tim gone. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and so that starts with Piggy is once again, presumably roasting chestnuts. 
Like she's standing at the same spot mm-hmm. by the oven. Uh, but instead of delightedly scarfing down chestnuts, she is crying. She is that, sobbing. That's funny. I, I wrote gleefully scarfing down chestnuts. <laughs> she loves them. Yeah, she, she just does. loves those chestnuts. Now, what I wrote down on this is is how strange it is to see Piggy legit crying. Um, right. Usually when yeah. we see her in anything, it's her sort of over the top or it's or it's fake or it's or it's like this is her legit in agony weeping. I don't think we really ever see Piggy do anything like that before. Hmm. Right. And well, and this is maybe the most, this is where she's the most Emily Cratchit and the least Piggy. Yeah. It's very odd to see her like that. Normally she's, if she's crying. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's right. Like, so I'm, yeah, I'm thinking sincere in the great Muppet caper when she cries at the, the pond but even mm. that it's an emotional moment but it's still like you're still kind of smiling through it that yeah. scene is interrupted by kermit telling her she's overacting yeah exactly so <laughs> it's not it's not the same right right <laughs> oh, that's a, that's my that's my favorite part that might be my favorite part in any muppet movie now that you it's great it. it's up there man uh this scene does not have anything that makes me happy like that and uh but anyway so the two daughters Bettina and Belinda come over and Piggy doesn't confuse their names this time they try to comfort her very genuinely and uh Emily Cratchit Miss Piggy says that the lamplight hurts her eyes and that's why she was crying because the lamplight hurts her eyes. yeah so in both scenes she is lying to her daughters but with different motivations <laughs> that's, that's true yeah um and then this is where Scrooge realizes who's missing. He says, not Tiny Tim. Uh-huh. Right. He turns to the ghost and says, not Tiny The ghost, of course, does not answer. Um, I was talking to our friend Joe Hennis about this earlier. And he pointed out that all three of Jerry Nelson's major characters in this movie die. Like, mm-hmm. within the text of the movie. Statler <laughs> was dead to begin with. The ghost of Christmas Whoa. present fades away. And and Tiny Tim is dead here, right? <laughs> and I hadn't I hadn't thought about it, but he's right. Wow, like, Fozziewig's mod just barely uh, got out. <laughs> I like to imagine that Fozziewig's mom is at the nursing home with him. Yeah, at the end with him and Sam the Eagle, yeah, and she's just off she's camera. She's really old, but she's still she, she's she's just like hundred and eight years old. Yeah, or sure. something like still hanging out. Um. But, well, Anthony, this this might be the point to, to talk about um, before this all started. Anthony and I are having an offline discussion about how close this actually is, and I think you guys have talked about this in other early installments. How actually how how close this version cleaves to the original Dickens text. Hmm. So um, we're going to go ahead and open the old curiosity show. All right, yeah. And so so oh. as, as Anthony and I were talking earlier, um, I was I was trying to figure out, or I, I guess I said, I asserted that Tiny Tim was not yet dead in this section. Do you actually want to read the passage for us, Brian? Sure, I can read the passage, yeah. Because Dickens does something very curious in this particular section of A Christmas Carol that you, we never see it in any versions of The Christmas Carol that have been filmed because I think it is very confusing or I think hmm. it makes things complicated. And here is, here is the, the paragraph. It's about three sentences. And this is talking about Bob Cratchit. And Scrooge is looking through the window. So even in the Christmas Carol, Scrooge is still looking in and notices Cratchit. And it says he, meaning Bob Cratchit, left the room and went upstairs into the room above, which was lighted cheerfully and hung with Christmas. There was a chair set close beside the child and there were signs of someone having been there lately. Poor Bob sat down in it 
and when he had thought a little and composed himself, he kissed the little face. He was reconciled to what had happened and went down again quite happy. Now, I was reading that as Tim was dying, not yet dead, uh, but the yeah. inevitable was coming. Um, and I know Dickens had been accused of being maudlin anyway, because like everybody, you know, little Nell dying and now we've got <laughs> Tim dying on Christmas. Um, but Anthony pointed, I think, rightly that Tim is already dead and his corpse is still is still in the house where everyone's uh, walking well, upstairs to kiss it. Um, right. Well, and I, like two, two reasons that I think that one is that it said Bob had reconciled himself to what had happened. Mm. Yeah. Not not what was happening to the inevitable. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. And and the other thing is he has right before that, as we'll see here uh, in the scene, somewhat he is coming back and telling Emily about having picked out the gravesite for Tiny Tim. And right. I don't think you pick out a gravesite for your child who is <laughs> sick that might pull through. Yeah. You know, um, but but you're yeah. right. It's 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 less clear than it could be. Yeah, it's That's... it's an odd scene. And anyway, it, so it, it's it's it was one of those confusing scenes that I I felt the need to point that out because when you're reading along, it, I was reading the original along with this scene because. Mm. Jerry Joel does such a great job adapting this and adding little touches in it that really, I think, bring it to life. And I want to talk about that, especially when we talk about first partings. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, well, that, that, thing, that thing sort of stops everything right in the middle of that, right in the middle of the section. So, uh, but anyway, it was one of those right. interesting things that Anthony and I were talking about sort of offline before we came on here. So, so we will go ahead and accept that Tiny Tim is dead. Well, dead is a door. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Tiny Tim. I mean, definitely in this version right definitely because, in I this mean, version yeah right yeah, there's, yeah in there's, this version for sure and so in most sad. versions i think you can assume he's already dead yeah and yeah. and kermit as bob cratchit is talking about where his grave is gonna be but so are, i mean either way though in the book version are they having christmas dinner with uh, possibly a dead body in the house uh, in the book they're not preparing dinner on yeah there's nothing there's nothing oh, about dinner, dinner. it's okay. going on they are yeah. they are actually um Mrs. Cratchit and the girls right. are actually sewing. It says yeah. it says that they are sewing and she says that the color hurts her eyes, not not lamplight. Yeah. The George C. Scott version uses that line. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, but Michael Patrick Hearn in the annotated Christmas Carol notes that what they are sewing would be their morning clothes for Tiny. Oh Christmas. yeah, yeah. And and that when she says the color hurts her eyes, she probably means black fabric, which is oh, hard right. to sew, huh. hard to see what you're doing. Oh yeah, huh? Yeah, um, very good. So so it's similar. I mean, but but as I as I as you just said, Brian, that Jerry Jewell does such a great job adapting. I actually put in my notes for this one. Most of the same things happen in this scene as in the book. With typical Julian alterations. Yeah. Absolutely. Same observation. Speaking of sewing and clothing, can I just, as, as this being my first installment of this, and you guys might have talked about this in earlier installments, <clears throat> the clothing they've built for the Muppets in this is amazing. Oh, yeah. Once again, a shout out to Polly Smith. Yes. Who was the <clears throat> lead Muppet clothes designer for this. Uh, incredible. Like, and as, as we discussed, they used some of the costumes just a f- couple of years ago in Muppets Haunted Mansion. Yeah, mm. they got to for the ghost. bring them out of storage. Yeah, uh, Robin is is t- is straight up Tiny Tim <laughs> in M- Muppets Haunted Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but others too. I mean, like Beauregard. Is, I don't think Beauregard's in this movie, but he's oh, wearing clearly costumes from this movie. Yeah, <laughs> in those scenes. Yeah, yeah, and even all the background characters in this are just yeah perfectly outfitted. Yeah, 
but anyways, so so as we said, Bob Cratchit does walk through the door just like last time. And in the previous scene, of course, the girls run over to him and knock him over. And in this one, they don't knock him over. They just all hug. And it is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's fascinating that the, Belinda and Bettina, these two Muppets, who's in the previous scene, they're primary purpose was just to be a joke. Like we're just laughing at everything they do. And then here they're totally convincing as just these somber grieving sisters. Yeah. yeah what the, the note that I made on this is just how beautifully sincere it, it all plays out. Um, there's nothing modeling in it. They're not being deliberately sad. And it. it's just, it's a, it's, it's a, I don't want to say surprisingly, but it is a beautifully sincere just well played out honest portrayal of a family in mourning it's 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 fantastic yeah um and and the other thing i wrote down is um you know again this you might have talked about this already steve whitmer's performance here is astonishingly good Mm -hmm. um which i think reminds you of why he got that job in the first place uh but and not just doing kermit but doing peter's voice i mean it's just it's a really just rock peter is david rudman though oh is that david rudman okay yeah um, and who's who's very good though too because because David Rudman as Peter gets the line about I think he's walked a little slower these past two evenings, yeah. and his voice breaks so which like implies that Tiny Tim died two days ago right I like, think so yeah which means yeah. if this is Christmas then he died on the twenty third so not every single notable event happens on <laughs> Christmas which I think we were talking about a week or two ago. Right. Uh, and even if this is the same year that Scrooge dies, then that means that Scrooge and Tiny Tim don't necessarily die on the same day. Well, banner right, year, right? Yeah, right. Although, um, in the let me let me double check here. So, in the book, during this scene, after he talks about the gravesite, Bob talks about having run into Fred, Scrooge's yeah. nephew Fred, yeah. and how he offered condolences and you know asked and, him and if might offer to help. Yeah, might offer right. Uh, might might offer Peter a job exactly. Mm. Does have that um, great that great little discussion about uh, about Cratchit's wife too, which is really charming. About how he like and he, how did he know you were lovely? Because yeah, of course you are, my dear. Really great. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, but anyways, it does not mention anything about his uncle having died in that in that discussion. So I like I think if Dickens had wanted to establish that they died on the same day or in the same season, he he could have. Yeah, know? yeah. And he he doesn't. Uh, yeah, I'll he, go he, with the theory of them dying in different years, but just around Christmas time. <laughs> I'm surprised the sure. annotated Christmas Carol doesn't get into that level of detail. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, it doesn't. We need a timeline uh, break. You're right. I should write Michael Patrick Hearn a letter of complaint. <laughs> your your exhaustively researched book isn't detailed enough, sir. For our Muppet <laughs> uh, podcast. Yeah, right, exactly. Um we should we should try to get him on here before the season oh, ends. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that'd be that'd be something. All right. Anyways, uh so what does happen? As we talked about, Kermit talks about Tiny Tim's gravesite and how it'll be lovely. And he says that it would have done her good to see how green the place is, which that's in the book. That's mm. that line is verbatim out of the book. Yep. But do we think it's weird that it's so green in London in December? Oh. I guess it's evergreens and stuff. Huh? Yeah. I didn't think about that. I was just thinking about how Kermit is an expert on green. Yeah. I thought about that. Too. Yeah. He's, a, he's a green boy. He sang a whole song about it once. He did. That's true. Yeah, no, I, I guess anyways, I don't. No, yeah, you don't think about 
about London as being green all year round anywhere. Plus, I figured there was snow on the ground at this time of year. Isn't it always snow? That's, the- yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, it's 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 in the book and the annotated again doesn't doesn't make any notes about oh, wow. it, which funny. I kind of I kind of thought it would. <laughs> I was expecting it to. Yeah. But then uh, Kermit's voice breaks as he says that he picked a spot for Tim where he can see stops and then says it's on a hill on the hill. And the like you were talking about Steve Whitmire's tremendous performance here. That's a perfect example of it. Uh-huh. That could be such a cheap moment or feel cheesy or something. And instead it feels like Kermit the Frog is truly a grieving father who lost his child, yeah. which is an amazing thing for Kermit the Frog to be in a movie and have it be convincing. And then uh, the, the ducks on the river bit is, uh, is a Jerry Joel creation. It's, it's Joel yep. working within the Dickens, uh, the Dickens, you know, language, but uh, Dickens doesn't, doesn't talk about the ducks on the river. That's huh. Joel's and it's really, really charming. That's interesting. Yeah, it is very charming. Uh, it brings to mind um, the, the, fact that there's a memorial bench dedicated to Jim Henson on Hampstead Heath in the, the London area, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it overlooks a river with ducks on it, but... Um, it does not. Oh, okay. And I guess that maybe the, the bench probably had not been dedicated to, to J- Jim yet at this point, but it's a nice little um, nice little bit of symmetry. Yeah, yeah I mean, and if, you've ever, if you've ever been to a... To a uh, Mississippi down to Leland, um, you can definitely, you know, it's, it's a, it's a river, not really, a, mm. a, a, but, uh, you can see, and, and I don't know how many ducks there would have been, there would definitely have been snakes. Um, <laughs> but I can, I can see Jim watching, you know, ducks on the ducks on the river out down there in Leland. So. Yeah. I haven't, haven't made it there yet. I, I did about 10 years ago and it was, it was a delight. It's a, it's, it's a small museum. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. modest museum, but it's so charming. And the staff was so nice. And I would recommend to everyone to go. And they're yeah, you know? the staff the staff is really really nice, and they love the Muppet fans. Um, yeah. And and the town itself is just is very cute. So you could, still looks I think largely like it probably did when Jim was uh, growing up. Not a lot yeah. of it has changed. It's a very um, genteel southern town. Um, you know, there's still there's still a wrong side of the tracks over there, hmm. and. Uh, no, we were the, the sort of the rundown side versus the other side. And anyway, I think you, if you visit Leland, you can you could definitely feel what it would have been like when Jim was there. I think. Yeah, I'll have to make my way there one of these days. Yeah, just zip, just zip on over. Yeah, <laughs> just ride your bicycle all the way to Leland, Mississippi, across the Rainbow Bridge down there. <laughs> I'll ride my bicycle, and everyone will say, "How did they do that?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How did they get Ryan to ride a bike? Ryan Henson was pulling him. <laughs> there you go. Oh man, classic. Uh, so anyways, then Kermit and Piggy both look sad. And then we cut back to Scrooge outside where he turns to the spirit and asks, must there be a Christmas that brings this awful scene? How can we endure it? And Michael Caine is good at his job. Yes. And Scrooge is <laughs> speaking for all of us in that moment. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. And of course the ghost doesn't say anything back, which like, we all know that it's in the book, of course, and most adaptations, the ghost doesn't talk, but Michael Caine does such a good job of making it feel like he's playing off of another person. Oh yeah. In this, in this scene, you know, like it feels very conversational hmm. in a way that it easily could not like it. Scrooge's lines could feel like a monologue and they give him few enough and sparse enough that it doesn't. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He's talking to a character. I mean, I, I would- well, 
I would pay cash money to watch Michael Caine read the phone book anyway. So, um, yeah, you know, he said it's him doing it, doing the job, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then we go back inside the house where Kermit says the famous line, it's all right, children. Life is made up of meetings and partings. That is the way of it. I'm sure we shall never forget tiny Tim or this first parting that there was among us. And the voice crack on the word first parting. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I, whether it was deliberate or not, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I, I feel like it must've been, I don't know. It could now. And, and now again, this is, this is Jerry Jewell again, sort of building off of Dickens because Dickens doesn't have the little prologue there about, you know, life is, is what, what's the opening of that again, Anthony? Of, of the, the opening is life of, is, let me find it. Uh, it's all right. Children life is made up of meetings and partings. That is the yeah. way of it. That that is Jerry Jewell. That's, That's not all Dickens. Jerry Jewell. That no, part is Jerry. So here, here's here's I, I copied I cut, cut and paste again. Here's here's Please. Dickens. The first time he uses that phrase, it's just as likely as not, said Bob. One of these days, though, there's plenty of time for that, my dear. But however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure we shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim, shall we? Or this first parting that there was among us. That's the only time Dickens uses that line. Jerry Joel recognized that for the nugget that it was yeah. uh, and pulls it out and teases it out and puts it in the, you know, puts it in the opening part of like that very quick little monologue there. It's just, again, that that's the brilliance of Jerry Joel to understand that's character right there. That That is the character. Yeah. And just condensing it. So, so gracefully. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that it's, he, he says it's all right, children, because it's really not all right. Yeah, but I think he means like don't don't despair. You know, mm. I think it's all right means you don't need to be sad forever. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think he's trying to comfort them. He's trying. Right? Yeah, I don't know. It's such a devastating thing, right? What do you say? Like, yeah, it's. I will say though that when we talked about the first scene at the Cratchit House, uh, Danny Horn was our guest, and he talked mm. about how Piggy talks without contractions. And I have to be honest that having heard Danny say that today, when I watched this clip, when Kermit says, I am sure we shall never forget tiny Tim or this first parting uh, that there was among us. I thought about that. I yeah. thought about the lack of contractions. So thanks, Danny. <laughs> Kermit's contractions. I, I am sure. Yeah. Huh. Sure. Yeah. So he says it like, did you say Mr. Data? Yeah. Mr. Data. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> Anyways, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, is good, listeners. If you haven't <laughs> checked that out, you should check it out. Wait, so now I, I'm not as intimately familiar as you are. Does Data never use contractions? Data, early on, he occasionally does because they hadn't decided it yet. But for the most part, Data does not use contractions. As an huh. android, he does not. That's part of his effort to become a human is to learn how to use contractions. Oh, okay. Yes. Wow. How to become a real boy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, Captain. I do not understand. Okay. You know, like yeah. That yeah. Kind of, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. Brent's the great Brent Spiner. Why hasn't that guy ever worked with the Muppets? Huh? Yeah. No kidding. That's a good, that's a good question. Be a good fit. Anyways. Hmm. Uh, we're just about coming up to the end of this clip here. Um, we see like a few more seconds of the camera panning back to what we can presume is a crutch without an owner in the corner, but we don't see it yet. And that's where we end. Yeah, We see the fireplace. Hmm. Right. So any, Final thoughts about these two minutes before we move on. Brian, I'll start with you. 
I mean, it's a little bit repeating what I've already said, but you know, I I didn't sit down to watch and watch the entire movie um, when I wanted to do this. I only watched those two minutes, and the the first thing I wrote down is just how good the performers the performers are in this. Yeah, um, it, it just it, you know, absolutely convincing, and like I said, absolutely sincere, which is what is always the secret superpower of the Muppets. I think. Um, is, right. Is, well, well, just and what is amazing to me is that it's. It is Steve Whitmire and Frank Oz and Dave Goals, like we mentioned, David Rudman. Yeah. And, you know, these same guys could be like doing some goofball sketch about dancing cheeses or whatever. Yeah. You know? Hilariously and, funny. And, and just as good. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's so amazing is yeah. that we don't think we don't think about them having this skill for dramatic acting. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I mean, beautifully sincere was the term I wrote down and it just, and it still stands. So I was, I was at that part really impressed me just watching this brief scene. It's just how um, I couldn't stop watching, you know, um, and, I, and, and I went back and watched again because I had watched so closely. I wasn't paying attention to the, to the dialogue at that point. I was just watching the performances. So, oh. so the performances were what really knocked me out in, in this section. It's really well done. But then I was just fascinated going back and reading it sort of alongside of a Christmas Carol because I do know they were sort of deliberately trying to stay as close to the original narrative as they could. Um, but then to see the choices that Jerry Joel made where he was going to sort of, you know, derive a little bit from Dickens and, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, Dickens is already in a Christmas Carol fairly warm enough at times. And, uh, and, and Joel just makes it all the more sweeter uh, with some of the decisions he makes. And they're really, really smart writing by Jerry Joel. Yeah. Agreed. Ryan, how about you? Just I, I noticed uh, the candles this time because uh, when we were in the Cratchit house before and they sang Bless Us All, I had a note from somewhere about the fact that Brian Henson said he put a bunch of lit candles in the scene just to make it visually interesting when they were singing Bless Us All. So once again, there are several candles in this scene, which once again makes me wonder how uh, how close they came to setting a Muppet on fire. I, it's so funny you said that. I thought I thought that too. I, with the one because it's on the table right in the foreground. Yeah, yeah. Candlesticks. If, if, any, if anything, like in Muppet Caper, where like you know a puppet gets burned by the balloon Bunsen burner or whatever it was. Right. Right. Yeah. In the hot air balloon. Yeah. But yeah, that was it for these two minutes. All right. Thank you. So Brian, uh, we've been asking our guests three questions every week, and now I'm going to ask them to you. First one is, what's your history with the movie? Do you remember the first time you saw it and so on? So I actually came to Muppet Christmas Carol very late. Um, my Christmas Muppets is Emmett Otter. Um, that was one that I grew up watching. Um, awesome. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm the right age for Emmett Otter. I was 10, I think, when Emmett Otter came mm. out. Um, so by the time this came out, I was, I don't want to say I was a grown-up already, but it's like, I was like, I was out of college. I had my first job. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't keep up with, with, with it as well. So I didn't see it in the theater. Um, and then my daughter actually watched it on VHS um, without me of all things. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, so I can, I actually came to it late. I want to say the first time I watched this was probably when I was writing the book. Uh-huh. Um, oh, even, right? though, wow. even though this is, and you know, and, and I don't cover this in the book because it was post Jim. Um, but I, you know, I was trying to watch a number of them that, that, that right after Jim passed, uh, and particularly this one, which I think was pretty important, but, yeah, I, but I think, yeah. but I think the first, I think my first exposure to this was about 2010 or so. Yeah. When I was doing research on the book. Wow. Hmm. That's wild. Uh, second one, this will be a different answer than most people give maybe, I don't know, but, uh, where do you rank it among the Muppet movies? 
Um, I think of the post gym movies. I mean, I don't know how many there are at this point. Um, you know, it's uh, like once I post gym, there are there are five five theatrical five. features. Oh, geez, I wouldn't be. Able, I I couldn't I couldn't fairly do because I can't I can't think off the top of my head what the five are. Um, sure. I, I I think this one. I mean, I think this one is is um is one of I think probably the closest in spirit to the kind of film Jim might have made while he was alive. Um, I think this was the first time they realized that like you could do Muppet adaptations of movies and do it fairly well, um, which is probably something they need to get away from now at this point. Yeah. But um, but um, but you know I, I think of the of the poster movies. I think this this might be I think the finest one. I would if I had to rank it, I'd say it's probably the best of the post Jim productions. Sure, and yeah. I know people love. I, probably someone will take me down in the street and say it's Treasure Island. You ask, but um, <laughs> but I think this is. A, <laughs> I think this is really lovely. Yeah, I think that's a fairly popular yeah. sentiment. Right. I was going to say. And then uh, finally, do you watch it every year during the holiday season? No, I don't. Um, now that it's on Disney with the new song, you know, with the song reinserted, I did watch it this year. But it's it's not one that that some reason enters my rotation. Like I said, I'm Emmett Otter every year. Uh, you know, awesome. that one that Love that it. one's a no brainer. That one's a no brainer for me. Um, but th- th- this one doesn't always doesn't always doesn't always preload for some reason for me. Sure. Well, All right. Emma and Otter, you can get through in what, like 45 minutes? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It's yeah. And, like- and, you know, this one, and it's, I'm sorry. And so Emmett, and then, of course, Muppet Family Christmas. Like, and that was yeah. one. And, you know, we've had this discussion before, I think, Ryan, where it's like, if, you know, when, it, when, they, when they do like the NCAA rankings where it comes down to their thing, like, if it's Emmett versus Muppet Family Christmas, I'm probably going to give the edge to Emmett just for the nostalgia factor. But, oh, God, Muppet Family Christmas, I still think it's probably their finest hour. It's, yeah, it's my oh, favorite yeah. Muppet thing. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I think so, it's so so fantastically done. So, but like I said, I give the edge on that one to Emma just because I, that one was right in my wheelhouse. But wow, those are two such really good ones. But um, anyway, those tend to rise to the top of the queue before this one does. Yeah, that's I I can't argue with that. Which is not but, a statement on on Christmas Carol. It's it's, it's lovely. And oh no, they're all great. Huge, a huge Michael Caine fan. I mean, it's like. I, I love I love him in this. He's just you know again I'll, I'll watch him read the phone book, but he's just terrific in this too. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, that brings us just about down to the end, uh, listeners. You can always check out toughpigs.com on the internet at toughpigs.com. We are there all week long between episodes, so come visit yeah. us anytime. We are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. At this point, it's safe to say that Twitter's sticking around, and we're still there. I think seems to be. Uh, you can always email us at moving right along at toughpigs.com. You can follow Ryan on Twitter, that a thing that still exists at me, Ryan Rowe. You can follow Ryan on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist, where I recently ranked all 10 1933 <laughs> Best Picture nominees. Yeah. All and right. uh, turns out they're all pretty good. Brian, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can still find me mostly on Twitter. Like you guys, I was sort of like hanging around waiting to see what would happen. It looks like it's going to last. So <laughs> you can find me running my mouth most of the time on Twitter at Brian J. Jones. Um, my homepage on um, on the internet is brianjjones.com. Uh, that's primarily the two places you'll find me and information about me and, and links to buy my books and everything else you could ever want to know. And if anyone isn't following Brian on Twitter, it's you really should because like, every once in a while, like all of your – Twitter activity is good, but every once in a while you'll just uh, drop a, a long, extremely informative thread about one of your areas <laughs> of expertise. Like, let me tell you something about Dr. Seuss. Let me tell you something about Jim Henson. And it's always, it's always really interesting. Oh, good. And, 
And because podcasts are an audio medium, we should clarify that you are at Brian J-A-Y Jones. Correct. Yeah, not no, I, yeah, not spell, simply the letter J. Spell out the middle name. And as I always tell everybody, I for my entire life, I was just Brian Jones. But once I started writing, I used my full middle name because if you Google Brian Jones, you get like 300 million hits for the Dead Rolling Stone. Right. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, thank you, Brian, for joining us. It's always a thrill to have you. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for bearing with me and my terrible voice. <laughs> sure. Hey, that's okay. I sound like this every time. So if <laughs> listeners can deal with that. You're going to um, say thanks for bearing with your terrible voice, too. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> thanks as well to Morgan Davey for designing our logo. And thank you to you, listeners, for giving us a positive review on your podcatcher of choice. And thank you, listeners, as well, for telling every single person that you meet to listen to moving right along we'll be back next week for another episode until then partings are the way of